This podcast is brought to you by Barrier Break Solutions Private Limited and Score Foundation. Hi, this is George Abraham and welcome to Iway Conversations. My guest today is Dr. Sam Tarapurwala, who is a retired professor of sociology from St. Xavier's College, Bombay University, and a disability activist. Welcome, Sam. Good afternoon, uh, George. Nice to have uh, to interact with you. So, the Z- Xavier's Resource Center for the Visually Challenged, XRCVC, is something that you had uh, initiated at St. Xavier's College, Bombay. What's the story behind it, uh, Sam? Well, if I were to be frank, it was pure chance. And uh, I say so because uh, of a certain background. I have been born blind. I completed my education in a regular school. Consequently, I never really interacted with other blind persons. And uh, after my uh, academic uh, study, which ended in a PhD, uh, I joined St. Xavier's College in the Department of Sociology and Anthropology. Uh, this was way back in 1988. And from then, for the next uh, 12 odd years, I used to uh, involve myself with my teaching, some amount of research. And yes, we did have students with blindness and low vision as students within the college, and I did have them as some of my students in my regular classes. What happened was that in around early 2001, 2002, somewhere there, in one particular year, there was not a single student with blindness or low vision studying at St. Xavier's. This was very atypical because routinely we had about 10 to 12 students in any given academic year spread across uh, the different academic levels. Yeah. So this actually sparked my curiosity is where did these people disappear? Why aren't they coming here? Yeah. And it was more a a research curiosity than anything else. I started just, uh, I would say, exploring around or nosing around. And I found one interesting pattern, which is that another college in Mumbai, it's called Ruya. They had started a resource center in terms of uh, computer facility for the blind students. So they started some computers with JAWS and that became the magnet. So nobody wanted to come to Xavier's. Right. Now I put this thought to my college management that, look, we talk of social justice, we talk of this and that, but this is the reason why students aren't coming. So why don't you look at setting up a facility? So they said, who will set it up? And I had no desire at that stage to set up any facility. Let me be frank. Right. Uh, But then I said, okay, but at the same time, uh, a PC was costing around 60 plus thousand rupees. And that was a PC which would uh, be laughed at by today's younger generations in terms of its RAM, in terms of its processing speed, in terms of its memory. But it still costs 60 plus thousand and above. And JAWS was also as expensive. And remember, I'm talking about something in 2003. Right. So money had a different value at that time. Yes. So so the management also told me, look, we would be happy if you are taking the responsibility to set it up. 
but higher education is cash strapped you won't get any money from the college you'll get our support right and you'll get a physical space beyond right. that it's for you to find everything so for some time and i i had frankly no experience in uh, setting up facilities like this nor raising funds right but i did have one thing at that time which has been with me since the time i was very young thanks to my family which is the always have a positive viewpoint and always try to find solutions don't look at problems right and that's when i put my first proposal together and that yielded a grant from the tata one of the tata trusts right and the moment we set up our first computer in the very next year we had 20 students wow <laughs> so uh, it obviously was the basic uh, problem and then this was the solution right and from then uh, initially the idea was to set it up just as a, a small facility where students could come and access the internet etc etc but thereafter we have grown organically in meeting different needs that come up from time to time that's a very uh, interesting story and uh, so uh, xr cbc has come a long way since the inception and uh, would you like to tell us uh, what all does uh, xr cbc actually do and uh, and and what has been the growth story so let's put it this way the trajectory we took was to weave everything around our students our members and i'm not just saying students because i then use the term members because initially we were restricted to students but soon our students graduated and started working and they started coming with needs so also did our students come with needs and needs were not necessarily direct technological in terms of i want to learn the screen reader i want to learn how to use uh, scanning software etc etc it went well beyond that to list a few this was an academic problem to start with uh, a student came to us with a book running into 800 pages on indian economics and said can you get me a soft copy of this and i said let's scan it he said that you can scan but you will never get a accurate rendering for the simple reason that there are so many tables and things can go out of alignment can you not get me a soft copy from the publisher the public to cut a long story short the publisher refused and it went back and forth and finally we decided <clears throat> why not uh, try to change the copyright law which uh, took us 6 years in 2012 it changed uh, that doesn't mean that publishers are obliged to give us accessible copy but at least then scanning is no longer a uh, violation of the law yeah uh, some students came to us saying that look i've got myself a job and my employer requires me to open a salary account but the bank is not opening it and uh, again social advocacy at work we worked with the rbi and got them to change the rules the rule was as crazy as saying that a blind person should be treated on par with an illiterate person which meant that a blind person could never uh, open a bank account on a single name uh, that changed around 2009 or 10 i don't remember the exact year now uh, around the same period we started working on accessible atms they these are atm machines which uh, you can plug your headset into and the different functionalities are mapped to the keypad so that you can choose your language by pressing 
one or two, you can press increase volume, decrease volume, choose the type of transaction, enter your pin, everything through voice inputs, which you hear through your headphones. And so much so that you can even blank the ATM screen out so that if somebody is a nice peeping Tom behind you and shoulder surfing, that individual would not get the opportunity to read what you are up to. Right. So the ATMs uh, became a big issue. Now to back us up in all these initiatives, uh, one of the major awareness programs we developed, this was starting in 2006, was uh, the students coming to us and saying, look, you've set up a great facility here, but so many of our sighted classmates know nothing about us. Right. They handle us sometimes with kid gloves and they, they don't treat us as human. They treat us as people who are blind first and then human later. Or human later may never even come into the equation. Right. So can we change this? And that's when we thought of starting a sensitization workshop, giving lectures uh, to people would make no sense. Students don't want to listen to lectures. The asset is bored of listening to enough lectures. Right. So we thought of doing it through fun. And that's where we conceptualize Antar Chakshu, which is now our trademark awareness and sensitization workshop. Right. We've taken it to various destinations. In fact, over 40,000 people have gone through the experience by now. Both in the mega walkthrough experience, it's also sit-down experiences. And now in the very recent past, uh, on account of the COVID uh, lockdown scenario, we've even taken it online. And... In fact, uh, this year, currently season four of Antar Chakshu, uh, the sit-down version is running. It's it's in an online version. We've crossed over, I think, uh, 1,200 participants in this last three months or four months itself. So, uh, and we, we've customized that workshop to various target profiles. Uh, we've done it for students. We've done it for uh, corporate employees. We do it for uh, people who are becoming teachers. So obviously the core message remains the same, but the add-ons in terms of the focus, keeping the target population in mind gets adapted. If you know of anyone with vision impairment who needs guidance on living life with blindness, please share the IWA National Toll Free Helpline number 1800 Five three two zero four six nine. The number is one eight zero zero five three two zero four six nine. Beyond this, we have now actively got into over the last few years STEM education, science, technology, uh, engineering, and mathematics. When I was growing up, much as I was excited by engineering. There was no way I could get into it. And uh, thanks to technology today, which has become the potential leveler, we are able to actually create accessible mechanisms by which a blind or low vision student can seek education within engineering or in uh, other areas of interest, which may be science. So for example, right now in St. Xavier's College, one of our students is just completing his uh, BSc. He's in the final year of BSc with chemistry. Right. 
and it is interesting that even during the lockdown period he was able to do his work and right now that things are open is one of the few people who comes for his practicals it's a very interesting thing that you're talking about science technology engineering and mathematics uh, and and one of the reasons why uh, uh, these subjects are kept away from blind people is you know the, the visual element uh, in the delivery of the teaching or the, or the pedagogy and also the thing about drawing and the thing about handling chemicals and so on measurements and so on so uh, how are you actually in the stem uh, outreach of yours uh, how how I mean could you could you walk us through some of the interesting solutions that you come up with uh, we have not come up with any solutions we have only pieced together the solutions right and also in addition to that there is the application of mind yeah and very honestly awareness sessions with uh the different stakeholders be they the teachers in the class who have to change their whole uh, vision maybe they look through it through a different prism altogether right so the awareness the training and things have worked started working now it it's not easy but it's doable in terms of math uh, maths per se well there are some softwares which if installed and you train in your math will be rendered Uh, accessible in terms of its speech, how it speaks out. Otherwise, if you write x square plus y square, it will say x two plus y two. Now, right. if you wanted to read it as x square plus y square, that there's a better way of doing it. And I'm not getting into technicalities here. Right. Uh, there are also uh, special uh, measuring devices whereby you can uh, actually have a, for example, a drop counter if you're just having to put a certain number of drops of a, a particular chemical. or you have uh, calibrated uh, ways of measuring uh, different liquids or weights in addition in fact you even have uh, talking uh, devices which can uh, along with the various sensors that come along actually speak out things diagrammatical representations are possible there is software available today for example to get braille output you may use a software called tactile view right or you may use uh, thermoform paper frightfully expensive but is doable right models are another way in fact uh, some years back one of the students we worked with she became a qualified physiotherapist doing her bachelor's in physiotherapy with the mainstream right and that was a bigger challenge we had to even go to court to right get up permissions for the simple reason that again there were very strong rigid mindsets right and today she has her own practice uh, now you you kind of adopted uh, you developed or you put together these solutions for uh, stem in at at your college now the bigger picture is that uh, at the end of the, the semester or at the end of the year you have university exams and your evaluation is done at a university level and uh, you have you are bound by university rules uh, your question won't hold water uh, totally because we are an autonomous college right and as an autonomous college we have the right to design our own examination systems right. but having said that there are very clear cut government norms yes in terms of uh, the rpw act uh, 2016 uh, and other norms which can be adapted so for example when the physiotherapy student was finally doing her studies things had to be adapted right yeah 
or uh, when it comes to standard 11 and 12, whether it was CBSE or HSC, they went through the regular uh, board process. Right. So uh, things are doable. It's just a question of application of mind and working at it. Right. In fact, we are uh, right now uh, guiding uh, some colleges. In fact, IITs, whether it's IIT Chennai, IIT Delhi, um, it's IIT Madras in Delhi, or we are working with uh, engineering college in Surat. We are also working with other colleges to not just promote STEM, but overall make the inclusion process totally harmonious. Right. Uh, I didn't mention this earlier, but uh, over the last uh, five to six years, Xavier's has adopted an active policy to look at all disabilities. So though, although we may have the name XRCVC, that's Xavier's Resource Center for the Visually Challenged, I would say we are looking at various disabilities rather than just visual disabilities. And in so doing, we are trying to provide an inclusive educational experience for a person be they with a locomotor problem, a hearing issue, a cognition problem, whatever it is. Right. And to start with, we've, as a college, adopted a policy framework which talks of equal opportunities. And we try to adopt the 360 approach to inclusion. So right from the entrance to the exit, everything should be as inclusive as possible. We have a system of asking students to fill up an accommodation form once they have enrolled so that we customize the offering to the needs of the student and not try to just impose a blanket uh, solution. And uh, we've now taken this a step further to other colleges in what we call the Shamil uh, offering. Yeah. And, uh, some uh, ed high education institutes have already joined us in our collective quest. No, that's that's uh, very interesting. And, and I think if you have met with so much of success in uh, including at Xavier's, I'm sure that experience uh, would, would be very useful for colleges and universities across the country. And I think that's a wonderful initiative. To support our work with the blind and visually impaired, you can visit the donate page on our website www.scorefoundation.org.in Please note www.scorefoundation.org.in uh, I also wanted to check uh, with you. You said that you, you had your vision issues right from when you were a little child and you grew up in the mainstream. So could you share with me what were the challenges that came about and uh, how did you and your family address it? Because we grew up at a time when there was no technology, you know, no computers and JAWS and NVDAs and so on. So as I mentioned earlier, I was born blind. What I didn't mention was that I have an elder brother, two and a half years my senior, who is also blind from birth. Yeah. So my family had two blind kids yeah. growing up in the early 1960s. Right. Where the prevailing wisdom was that if somebody is blind, they should go to a school for the blind. Right. And that was the type of pressure exerted on my parents that, uh, oh, we don't know how to do it and the schools know how to do it, let them go there. And their simple thought process was, well, if they go to a school for the blind, 
Will there then be a college for the blind and then post that a world where only blind people are going to live or are our kids going to grow up and need to learn to live in society? Right. And obviously, it was the latter. Yeah. So, uh, I would say we were very fortunate that very close to where we were staying, there was a school which had just started up and my parents went and met the uh, person, who, the founder, who had come back after being trained in the Montessori method and she was just starting the school, which right. was two, three, four years old. I don't It was pretty young at that stage. Right. Name was Activity. It was called New Activity then. Right. And uh, she said, well, I believe that every child get, needs to get an opportunity to grow and we will do our best. We don't know, but we will do our best. And I had a, a shadow teacher at that time who would come in sometimes. She had also come back to India again, fortuitously. She had just come back from being trained at Perkins. Right. And again, she was staying not too far from where we stayed. Right. And very close to the school as well. Right. Not that right. she would come to school every day or anything like that. She gave me my basic training in Braille. Yeah. And uh, we were the only two blind kids in school. Right. And let me tell you, we grew up like any other kid, rough and tumble as right. any uh, kid would have. And that was a good experience to become rough and tough. Right. Uh, another great thing we had, and I would say that has been uh, my greatest source of strength has been family support. Right. My family, especially my mother, because there were no uh, computers. She was a human reader. In fact, the first time I actually used computers was in the end at the time of my PhD uh, to do some number crunching and then finally to word process my PhD thesis. Right. Otherwise, there were no computers and that was not even a screen reader for computer. Right. Uh, screen. Um, the first time I encountered a computer was uh, with screen readers was in the early 2000s when I started my exploration into why... Xavier's was lagging behind. Right. So the human reader was what I depended on. Braille was what I depended on. And well, to cut a long story short, anybody who has the active human support will succeed. Right. Technology is important, no doubt, but it's not a substitute. It's a supplement. Right. When you grew up in the mainstream, did you find it difficult to make friends? Because a lot of people find it difficult to get into social groups. Uh, what was your experience like? No, as I told you, we grew up in, in school. Uh, we, we were the only blind kids in school, but uh, my classmates accepted us for what we were. They would fool around sometimes with the blindness. Right. But that was part of the deal. It was part of the growing up. Also, I learned not to make my blindness a uh, point of self-pity. You know, you've, you've had a very busy kind of life as a professor, as uh, an activist, and uh, you also did a lot of do a lot of administrative work when it comes to XRCBC. How does Dr. Sam Tarapurwala relax? What are your passions and interests outside the so-called mainstream work that you do? Well, I like to listen to music and I like to read, read anything from the sublime to the ridiculous. So, so what what are some of your uh, favorite authors? Well, I sometime back was reading a lot of uh, Jeffrey Archer, but it's nothing like a favorite author. If I pick up something, I read it. Right. Because and whether it's fiction, nonfiction, anything, he just feel happy to read it. It's a good diversion, and a lot of reading also gives you an insight into the human mind ultimately. 
you know, um, we all grew up in a, in a in a kind of world where a lot of people around us, and if we had the opportunity, we too did do a lot of reading. But today, uh, when you look at the students, you know, most of them read just what is barely necessary. You know, maybe the textbooks, maybe some reference books. But when it comes to reading fiction and all that, you know, uh, they are very short on it. And uh, there is a lot of uh, revolutionary breakthroughs in terms of adaptive. You know, like you have Audible, you have Sugamya Pustakalaya, you have Bookshare. Uh, are you feeling? Do you feel a little disappointed that these resources are not being used the way they could be used? In theory, yes, I feel disappointed. I just ask myself whether if I had those facilities fifty uh, odd years ago, uh, would I have used them? And I think I, the answer would have been yes. But then I don't want to value judge uh, anybody. Today's youth like to have uh, two minute fixes, including Maggie noodles. So it's uh, well a choice people make, and uh, everything is wanted in quick, condensed fashion. Perhaps that's to do with the pace of life. So I don't want to sit and judge in it. But yes, there's so much resources, and if they're not used, it would be it's it's sad, no doubt. But that's the given scenario. We have to uh, provide resources because out of the hundred in there in the wide world even if two people are really avidly wanting content they should have a right to get it so sam uh, it's wonderful speaking with you uh, thank you very much for giving your time i appreciate the fact that you've taken out time to speak to us and uh, wish you all the very best thanks george it's been a pleasure and wish the program all success thanks once again for having me over This podcast was brought to you by Barrier Break Solutions Private Limited and Score Foundation. I wait, yeah, Roshni ka karva.